This is Theory of Change. I'm Matthew Sheffield. Thanks for joining me for another episode. Before we get into the program, I just wanted to mention that Theory of Change is part of the Flux Media Network. So go to flux.community for more podcasts and articles about politics, religion, media, and society, and how how they all intersect. And of course, you can also go to theoryofchange.show to get the archives of this program as well. And if you are able to subscribe, please do so on YouTube or Substack or Patreon, wherever you want. We got it for you. And make sure if you are able to do a paid subscription, obviously that's much appreciated. But if you can't afford that right now, please do give a review on iTunes. A written review, actually. Those are helpful. So I appreciate everybody who is able to do that. Thanks. All right, so with that out of the way, let's get into today's program. Now that the pretense of a Republican presidential primary is nearly at an end, the second general election matchup between Joe Biden and Donald Trump is beginning to take shape. And while it's the same candidates as in 2020, the political dynamics of the race between them are different this time in several important ways, most prominently that we are no longer in a global pandemic. But one other difference this time around is that each of the candidates' support base seems to have lost some enthusiasm. On the Republican side, a significant percentage of the people who voted for Trump seem to be sick of his raging incompetence and foolish statements, while also harboring justifiable concerns about his criminal acts to cling to power after he lost in 2020. On the Democratic side, there is also a lot of discontentment with Biden, especially among Black Americans. In a December poll by the Associated Press, Only 50% of Black adults said they approved of the job that Biden was doing as president. Various surveys and various surveys have shown Biden with less Black support than he needs to win in November. For the most part, the Republican Party is not yet gaining much support from Black Americans, so it's worth pondering what's going on here in this regard. And joining me to discuss all this is Stephen Robinson. He is a writer and podcaster who does both of those things on his website, Play Typer Guy. Welcome to Theory of Change, Steve. Hi, Matthew. How are you? Good. All right. Well, this is, I think this is a conversation that it doesn't, I don't, I don't see it happening a lot in the mainstream media to some extent about wondering, especially on, on cable television, that wondering what is going on with black voters and Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's just kind of under the surface. And I, I think it reflects a dynamic to some degree that in the Democratic Party, you're not supposed to talk about what the guys at the top are doing wrong. Sure. Uh, is, is that, what's your sense? That's very much a case of that I've seen a lot. I've seen it. One of the reasons I've kind of gone independent myself, uh, playtyperguy.com uh, at Substack, my shameless plug, is to sort of write about these issues without particularly related to race without being kind of, oh, no, no, you're going to make Trump come back to sort of have that animal farm reference whenever you would just talk about these issues. And I think talking about an issue doesn't make it worse, nor does ignoring it make it go away. So one of the issues, I think, is that when we talk about discontent amongst any other certain groups of people, particularly like when there was over particularly COVID lockdowns and then suburban white women concerned about their kids being taught about racism or books. When we saw a lot of that in Virginia, 
when uh, Glenn Youngling won, those folks are often presented in the media. They do the focus groups with them, but not just that, more likely someone of that demo is going to be on a mainstream news program presenting that issue. Mm -hmm. If you look at sort of the black voter base and a lot of the folks and or where that discontent is, aside from some articles, the, the folks who make it, and there often aren't a lot of people of color, particularly black people and black women who make it on the mainstream news shows are hardcore Democrats. They're people who argue for the party and rightly so, because that's their point of view. Even myself, if you were to put me on Meet the Press, I'm going to be like, well, of course, I'm going to vote for Biden. Here's why I think he's done a good job. Here's why we catastrophic if Trump won again. To win. Yeah. yeah. And but a lot of those voices, and as we said, these elections are going to be, this election is going to be won on the margins. They, the, the last few have been. They were talking about, what is it, 40,000 yeah. 40, votes amongst a certain states determined that Biden won in 2020. And then it was actually more narrow than Trump's electoral college vote victory in the states where he won. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, we should talk about turnout issues and we should talk mm -hmm. about, and hope you can get into that as well, like the sense of the position of the Democratic Party is in now and in trying to maintain a very large coalition, especially mm -hmm. to the extent that they are, have been for the longest time wanting to get folks who, and I think you can speak to that, of who were once, so white suburban college educated people who were once right-leaning, maybe even still are, but once voted Republican and said were alienated by mm -hmm. Trump and MAGA and are now Democrats and so, or inclined to vote for Democrats. And so I think there's been a lot of focus on those gr groups, perhaps to the detriment of really listening and doing the outreach with particularly working class, non-college educated Black voters, Black mm -hmm and black men, specifically yeah. Latino men. Yeah. And, and it's, and it is a really complicated dilemma that Democrats have because the person, the democratic voting coalition, the electorate is very different in its inside itself compared to the Republican coalition. So the mm -hmm. Republican coalition, overwhelmingly Christian, overwhelmingly white, and now much more rural than ever before. So there, so a lot of the things that they, the messages that they can give to them, they all intersect perfectly with each other. Uh, and so, whereas for Democrats, Democrats are basically have to contain the entire political spectrum, except for reactionary extremists. And so it's, and, and this is also true with regard to Black Americans, because a lot of Black Americans are actually conservatives, mm -hmm. uh, but they're not going to vote for the Republican Party, given its many decades of history of both trying to court racist people on the sly, and then now, of course, openly doing it under sure. uh, the computers. So it's, so trying to figure out, well, what, it, how do you appeal to Black Americans? It's, it's very difficult in some sense because uh -huh. what might work for a 22-year-old college student in, in, in New York City is probably very possibly not going to work for a 70-year-old 
grandmother in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, and well, that's part of the dilemma. Well, it's been sixty years, or will it will be this year since the Civil Rights Act, and so this idea that there is a permanent sort of connection to the Democratic Party and 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 um, acknowledgement of what the party has done on race issues that Black people will have for is a dangerous, I think, assumption. I think younger Black yeah. voters are a potential get from Republicans focusing on, again, those working class rural issues. And people will say, well, no, because they, the Republican Party is overtly racist. Yet, I think I've Arg my point of view is I find that argument somewhat insulting because you say that I'm from South Carolina, I'm from the rural South, and of course all of my family members are Democrats, longtime Democrats. But if you were to say to them that, hey, the argument I'm going to give to you, to my cousin, for instance, is Republicans are racist, Trump is racist, duh, come vote for me. But to your neighbor, on the guy you work with, a, a white person who's also didn't go to college, also from the rural South, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna try to like make an argument on the merits. And also I probably won't overtly state that they're racist because Democrats don't usually do that. They try to say that like Republicans, oh, they're for small government. They still, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, I would get screamed at when I would write columns saying she shouldn't go around saying that we need a strong Republican party. Like, what does that mean? When were they? <laughs> When were they yeah. useful allies? And she's romanticized Reagan in the past and those things. And then, so you say that as if saying kind of like, okay, well, again, for the sake of argument, hey, Matthew, you voted for Republicans in the past, you're maybe a Republican, but here's how we're going to try to win you over on the issues because we don't think you're racist and we don't think you're willingly voting for racist, but we're going to tell Black voters that obviously you don't have that same choice as Matthew because obviously you're a big dummy if you were to ever consider mm -hmm. like all these other issues that we think most is that's driving most of our good friends across mm -hmm. the aisle as Biden says and I think that that becomes the dangerous sort of well, it's kind of yeah patronizing basically absolutely uh, in some sense yeah and there and there is kind of a similar messaging problem with with Hispanic Americans as well that Democrats generally seem to think that Hispanics and Latinos only care about immigration, that they all right. care about immigration and it's and that they want more of it when the reality is that a lot of people in that demographic have nothing to do with the immigration oh, yeah. system. <laughs> they're they're multi-generational family and don't know anyone in an, who lives in another country. And no, no, no. You're yeah. insulting them to imply that they do. It's kind of overtly racist. Yeah, it's overtly racist because you're sort of saying that they, without looking at it as a class issue, like some folks would say, oh, because mm -hmm. American is a class system. It's like, oh, I got here legally, and I don't. I look they're opposed to being like, oh, Trump's rhetoric is going to offend every Latino voter and we're going to win Florida easily and we're going to win Texas easily. I mean, this was rhetoric in 2016. I'm sure you might have saw some of that. And obviously oh, yeah. that did not happen. DeSantis like dominated when he was Ron DeSantis, when he ran for a reelection amongst Latino voters winning previous Democratic strongholds because Democrats had been, their support had been eroding. I think what was happening with certain Hispanic voters particularly Latino men and working class has sort of 
potentially I said would be a fear of happening with black voters. If that were to ever happen, that's going to be disastrous, but where they don't have that long-term connection to the democratic party of like, Mm -hmm. you know, you've always been there for us. We'll be there for you. And what happened in 2020 was that in Texas, Biden was doing very poorly amongst some border towns because of concerns about lockdowns. And I remember a lot of the dialogue from a lot of white pundits during during COVID was like, obviously the mitigation factors we we did we needed to do. That was my opinion. But the there was often a sense of condescending from of like, oh come on, just stop whining. You're just sitting at home in your in your sweatpants. It's a wonderful thing. Whereas a lot of people were desperate and scared especially if their work was sort of entrepreneurial, which was the case for a lot of Hispanic folks in that area. Like they were desperate and concerned that lockdowns would They couldn't do their jobs. They literally could not work. It was impossible to work. And yeah, no, there is, there is, and a lot of it is that I think the, the Democratic Party, and this is also true of the Republican Party, having been, been on, both sides that, but the Democrats are more centralized in the uh, the Acela corridor, so the New York to D.C. And if you don't live there, then you're not really relevant, and they don't want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, the only extent they want to hear from you is in a public opinion survey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can say, having been a former pollster, that polls can be very bad at at helping you understand public opinion, because you have to understand how to ask the question in a way that has the same meaning for you and for the respondent. And that actually can be very difficult in, in a lot of different ways. So especially like when you ask people like about whether they're their ideological position. So a lot of a lot of black Americans, again, they have they come from a very fundamentalist Christian viewpoint. They, you know, they believe the Bible is literally true and they may think that homosexuality is a sin and they'll call themselves conservative when you ask them. But then what do you do with that? What can you do with that fact about them? And that's where, that's where polling has a problem and how you, why you have to get out there and actually listen to people. Like this is, this is one thing that the, the Republicans have really well for themselves is Besides the fact that right-wing media is now so huge and has such vast audiences, whether it's Joe Rogan or Daily Wire or any of these talk radio people, it has a, a, a huge audience to to push the, the propaganda out to them. But it also allows kind of a two-way push as well, because these, especially the local talk radio hosts, they have people calling in and telling them, this is what I think about. Oh yeah, or or whatever, and and so you can get a, it's like having a profitable focus group, and they've got hundreds of them, and then of course website comments are are good for that as well to kind of suss out public mm. opinion in a way that's that is organic because like a lot of times people will be like, well, we can just do focus groups, but you know there's a lot of people who won't want to participate in a focus group, and even if they did it's not a real forum like you sitting around a table with a bunch of strangers with being videotaped is that a real conversation oh yeah i don't think it is well um, yeah not, not at all 
And to what you were saying about that ecosystem, I've called it an echo sphere of like the same type of dialogue that's being had for Republicans, again, a, a white Christian cultural organization, like that's its base and that's what it is. And we can flatter mm -hmm. them and say it's, it's about, an identity. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And we can flatter them and say it's about small government and freedom and et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. But like at that core, and so just watching Fox News or just being in that, well, that is going to hit a good deal of that base and or and, and reflects what they're stating. We said that Donald Trump was in many ways the, the Fox News viewer made good because he was of that group. He, he wasn't simply like the, the quote David Frum had where we thought Fox News worked for us and suddenly we were working for Fox News. Well, what happened was the Trump and then who came after him, people like... um. Marjorie the Green and others who had been out there, who'd been the reliable voters for them, there's like, okay, well, we don't need, we don't need the front people anymore. We're taking over. And but they reflect those voters in a way that if you put you took Nancy Pelosi without identifying her, because I think if you put her into a black beauty parlor in South Carolina and they and the people knew she was Nancy Pelosi and they, they came with the cars and so they'd be respectful for her and like her because they like her policy politics generally but if you just put her there without them knowing who this was how natural would the rapport be how natural would the connection be how their dialogue and and how how would that go versus dropping trump in sort of a very rural bar somewhere in ohio like the mm -hmm. stuff he would complain about, the stuff that he would naturally sort of talk about while having a beer with a guy is true. He would I mean, fit right in. Yeah. Fit right in. I mean, I think Democrats have for years, so like almost 25 years now. So they complained about the Al Gore, George W. Bush, the argument of like, who would you rather have a beer with? And it was like, that's ridiculous. I mean, Hamilton even made fun of it. It's like the musical Hamilton made fun of that idea. And it's like, well, it's not just about the part. I mean, obviously, politics is a popularity contest because that's how people get elected. But it's like, it's also about trust. Who do I trust? If I trust you, that's everything. If I if I want to have this beer with you, if I trust you, if I think you're kind of like trying to sell me something, I don't trust you. And I think what has happened with that deterioration amongst rural white folks who had been voting Democratic, who had voted for Bill Clinton in the past, even Barack Obama, and then it just collapsed in 2016. And then even as we're seeing with certain groups of Black voters and, and Latino voters, what happens if you don't build a trust, Democrats think, oh, I could just come in and pitch you on the issues. Why don't they get it? Why don't they get that? I mm -hmm. care more about these issues than Republicans. Republicans don't care. Like we're going to come in and actually when a tornado blows through Kentucky, we're going to come in and fix it. We're going to help you and Republicans aren't, why don't they care? It's like, because they don't trust you. Ultimately, everything comes down to who do we trust? Mm -hmm. And essentially having lost that trust has been the longest problem. But part of it is because, as you said, it's at a solo corridor. You're like so far removed from the people you need. I once wrote about Democrats need more Lauren Bobarts and everyone, the immediate response was, what do you mean? More idiots, more people doing, well, no, 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 not the terrible stuff about her, not her <laughs> terrible politics, just that if you look, the idea that this was a woman of a GED who had worked as a waitress and worked small business owner, then went to Congress young, 
name the idea of more minorities who represent who are from that as opposed to i think democrats can very much get caught into the model minority trap so it's just mm -hmm. like here's our leaders who and it's like oh well she went to harvard and yale and she yeah you know graduate it's like very Barack obama is a great example of the, what you're talking about yeah 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 and no actually no that's a great point and actually i've 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 been glad to see the rise of some of these younger Democrats like Jasmine Crockett when I when I see her going out there and tearing into Republicans and doing it in a way that is just like a regular a regular average black woman from the South uh, mm -hmm. would do and and she's great at it and you know mm -hmm. and and the other thing also is that ha that all these Confederate Republican old boys watching her do this to them like they have got to be tearing up inside. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, that's part of why, also why I love it as well to see. But you're right about that. Yeah, like there is there is kind of this thought that we, we, we can use polling to determine what people want and not actually have to talk to them and not actually be there. Because like, like, because there, there is, I mean, there is a, a serious issue that they, they really are kind of isolated and mm -hmm. do their own thing. And, and they think that everybody agrees with them. Like, I think there was this, well, like, for instance, they've, they've abandoned it. And this is more Latino related, but, you know, like there, there was this propagation of the term Latin X uh, in a lot of democratic policy circles for a while. And nobody bothered to ask Latinos, do you want that term? <laughs> you want to use it and it turns out they did not want to use it and so so now it's actually been banned by various democratic organizations because they're like well when we use language like that no one knows what the fuck we're talking about <laughs> so no, no, no. we should stop that we should it's stop that. just a different it's just a different language i mean republicans have been brilliant on language when they talk about things like parental rights and they talk about things that that which go back to the idea of conservatives, blacks and Latinos, when they were talking about those issues, the idea was that, oh, well, obviously those groups are going to come out in force for us to get rid of Ron DeSantis because they obviously, he's racist with those, those books and, and arguments. And whereas instead the stuff about the type of the idea of sexualizing stories and stuff like that, which all that being BS, but no one was taking the time to actually thread that needle because as you said, there were a lot of conservative minorities of states who were like, oh, I don't want my kid reading about. And I think what happens is Democrats are then shocked or then stunned because they haven't had the dialogue with actual working class people. I found that you were saying a party that was sort of living by polls forever to the point where and it made me very frustrated because I remember in 2020 during the primaries where Biden, a lot of Biden's value proposition was based on polls. Look at these polls of me against Donald Trump. Clearly, I'm the best. Listen to these polls. And then in the past few months, polls were like going poorly for Biden. And there was a complete dismissal of polling data. And I was like, well, there's we can obviously look, dig down, make sure polls aren't BS. But to reject the science right out for like a gut instinct is very scary and often is what mm -hmm. losing campaigns do. It's what Romney's yeah. campaign did in 2012, being like, oh, there's Unskew no way. The polls. <laughs> yeah, unskew them. And so with that, I remember a former colleague of mine, so a white male, 
the, the poll came out of Biden not doing very well amongst Black voters comparatively to 2020. And his response was, if I may say the term, bullshit. Like, that's all he said. And I was like, okay, well, why do you believe that? Why do you think it's wrong? So, you know, no science was just like, no, there's no way that that's the case. And it's like, and the crosstab is about work, working class Black voters. And I was like, and I drilled in and it was like, well, you've, do you, have you spoken to or interacted with or interviewed as I have any of these people? Because I don't presume to speak for Black people who aren't from mm-hmm. specifically my demographic. I talk to them, I interview with them, I, and so forth to form this opinion of where things are. Yeah. And that just wasn't happening. It was this sense of, obviously they realize Trump is a literal grand dragon of the Klan and that democracy is at stake. And clearly this poll is BS. There's no way that a black person is either going to vote for Trump or not vote. And that's dangerous because Trump did improve moderately his performance among black voters and Latino voters, particularly men in 2020. So so I was very concerned when I got that sort of response. It was very frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some of it, I think some of it is just that, again, people who are, let's say, highly have a professional job and, or may have a college degree or higher. There, there's, there is a real danger in politics to project your rationale and your thinking onto other people. And, and, and I think you see that in particular with regard to college. Most Americans have never gone to college, don't have a college degree, and that's always been the case. And yet, so much of the rhetoric about opportunity or career advancement or retraining or dealing with unemployment situations is, well, you should just go back to school and get another degree. And that doesn't work for most people. That's not going to work for most people. Most people can't take four four years out of their life or whatever other two, two, four years, whatever. They can't go and put that into college because they have to feed their family and feed themselves. And like, unless you're going to work to make college free, you should shut up about that. <laughs> it's, it's just not relevant to, to a lot of people. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying I'm hostile to it or anything like that, but it's not going to work for people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you have to have multiple solutions to people because it isn't one size fits all. Um, Absolutely. And, they, and I, I also support college being sort of an extension of high school that where, where we fund that all the way through. I think there's a benefit or even vocational training or whatever. But what would also also kind of amuse me about that argument is that many of the people saying college should be free, go to college, would then say, we need to have my student loans canceled or forgiven because I'm like $100,000 in debt and I make $50,000 a year. And so like someone who's like a plumber or works in a, a factory or whatever, who makes more than that and doesn't have that near of debt, it's like, wait a minute. So your solution, even if I didn't wind up in the debt, I wouldn't, your job doesn't pay what mine does. Those are the jobs I'm losing. And I think that becomes a sense of, well, you've got to address the people who are like, all this technology has been wiping out types of jobs that are very valuable. And I think going back to what you said about not 
listening or not. I remember, and this was a, a big issue in 2020 regarding Medicare for all and those sort of things or dealing with insurance companies and so forth. And it was shocking that people who I really respected read on the issue, like Liz Warren, or even Bernie Sanders, were kind of unaware that a major demographic for the for the Democratic Party, Black women, also um, um, disproportionately worked in the medical insurance industry, like sort of that the administration aspect that they would go out mm -hmm. and talk about how, well, this is the worst thing, that that's the worst part of it, and Medicare will remove all of that. So essentially, they're talking about gutting a lot of jobs for their base. Now, I think that's probably going to be necessary, but it was sort of like they hadn't thought about it. So if you haven't thought about it, then you have no way. Everyone's like, oh, wait a minute. She's talking about gutting my jobs. It goes back to trust, mm -hmm. right? Because if I come in, if I've prepared for the meeting, and again, I've been worked in court, if I prepared for the meeting with you and I know, okay, well, here's where we need to go obviously understand how you'd be impacted. Here's like either for exit or here's a trade, like some, but I've at least prepared as opposed to my coming in. That's like the worst boss in the world, right? Like, okay, Matthew, here's our exciting new program. We're going to do this. And then this apartment that handles the theory of change podcast will be sent to India. And you'd be like, well, that's my job. Like, how do you not know what I do? Like, I hate you. And so I think sometimes there's that sort of sense of people not even listening or being aware of the, the very serious concerns that happened again, as I said earlier with, with COVID, where there was that idea that like all Democrats are talking as if not just their voters, but all voters were like able to, as I was, I was fortunate to just kind of ride out the pandemic working for home. You're still getting a paycheck, but the frustration is that you can't go outside and have a drink with your friends or do that. And so instead they were mm -hmm. kind of like, Everyone complaining about the lockdowns is spoiled because they want to go to brunch. There was a lot of liberals posting that or talking that way. And it's like, no, 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 there are people, you know, uh, it's great that you decided to start making your own bread at home and you took a cocktail course from YouTube or whatever. But that person, that human being who was bringing the bread to your table at your favorite brunch stop or the person who was making drinks for you the last year, mm -hmm they are, are scared. They don't know whether, you know, how things are going to go for them or yeah. what, or if there's going to be an industry for them. So I think that or becomes, yeah. yeah. So I think it's a sense of really not knowing. And I think that's one of the advantages that Republicans often have because they are often in the circle. It's, I find it very frustrating. And Pelosi has done this a lot of talking about, well, that's not, we're going to focus on the kitchen table issues, which is often seems like a very patronizing way of saying, this is what is really important. And it's like, well, no, I think, yes, at kitchen tables in certain parts of the country, these were important the issue. issues to yeah. them. The issue of trans people in sports, what's being taught in the schools and so forth. And there's, I believe there's a right, that we're on the right side of those issues, but we need to address it not roll our eyes and be like well, actually explain it. Okay. yeah yeah <laughs> or explain it yes yeah. that would be good yeah no no you're right about that and and also stop telling people what they should be concerned about like that's their business what they want to be interested in if you want them to be interested in something else then you need to explain why they should be interested in it and not 
try to shame them into it because it never, it doesn't work. Life doesn't work that way. If you're, you want someone to be your friend, you're not going to shame them into being your friend. <laughs> you want to date someone, you, you can't shame them into dating you. That's not, that isn't how any of this stuff works in any other context. But, but Pelosi, I do think is kind of an emblematic figure in this discussion. And I'm glad you've mentioned her a few times, but I mean, like most recently, of course, she has been just completely denigrating people who are concerned about the situation in Gaza and all the people being killed there and the war crimes being committed by Israel and basically saying that the only people concerned about that are being paid by Vladimir Putin. <laughs> you, you claim to be concerned about these other issues. And so you just need to sit back and do what we tell you on Israel. And and people are like, what? That's that's not an argument. <laughs> no, that's no. Anyone, it's it is offensive. And 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 recently, there in in the news, there were several a bunch of of black religious leaders that had written a, a, a petition to Biden to say, please stop this. You stop funding all this awfulness that Israel is doing. Please stop it. And like this is causing some real real tension. But the sort of Acela Democrats. They don't really see it. I don't, no. it, it doesn't seem to affect them. No, very it's a very really. serious issue. I mean, part of the problem is that, and I think you frame it well, the Acela issue, because the presumption so often is that the only people making noise about it are these obnoxious college kids outside my window. And they don't, they're not connected to the real world. They're kind of, and granted, you actually do need college kids, so it's not great to alienate them either, but <laughs> it's that presumption, right? Sort of the idea of the the aimless hippies from hair musical yeah. as opposed to the civil rights, the more organized and disciplined civil rights movement and so forth. But that's not what's happening. And so when the I written about the Pelosi situation and I said it was fascinating that she gave that interview and made those offensive comments the same day that I'd read in the Sunday Times about the Black pastors. And I was like, Joe Biden has been doing the circuit, going to these Black churches to sort of drum up support. And it's like, Black the black people, especially in, in the South, especially in these churches, they like Joe Biden. Do you know who they like a lot more? Dr. Martin Luther King. Do you know who the FBI investigated because Pelosi was talking about FBI investigation yeah. into people and to state that without the history it's like well calling for ceasefire is what Putin wants so to connecting it because sure he might want that that's different from people of good faith who are long-term pro-peace pro any sort of resolution and that was the challenge for King and I in the yeah, piece he was accused of being a Russian student. Yeah, uh, the, and uh, I and I'd included these things from the FBI report saying like what he said was co communist talking points. It's what the com you know it's what the Soviet Union wants to get out of Vietnam and to end that threat. So that connection was very real, and to state that is such a disconnect of like, and it's different from in a way from as offensive as say. A Republican like Nikki Haley saying that it's never been a racist country or whatever, it actually hits harder when it's someone like Pelosi who, for a photo op, will kind of link arms with other Black Democratic politicians and do like the, the imaging mm -hmm. 
the imagery of the civil rights movement, like a lot of the we shall overcome stuff and all of the, the imagery of it, while also, again, when it's politically convenient and my sort of King column that I'd written for King's birthday was sort of, okay, what I want people to remember right now is he was not about, he was fully about peace. Because when you just think that calling for peace against racist Southerners who are bombing your home, because he wasn't in some Ivy League, Ivy Tower being sort of clueless about calling for ceasefires or calling for peace or not responding in violence. These people were targeting his home. He was still sticking to his, his principles. And I think that speaks to something. And this had been an issue, again, at a former place I'd worked and it, one of the reasons I'd gone independent was that there was a big uproar of just even talking about the issue. So shortly afterward, um, Juliana Margulies had made, the actor had made some really offensive comments about Black people protesting against some of what Israel was doing in response to the attack. And the sort of the idea that like, we've been here for you, why aren't you here for us? And I'd commented about how that was sort of paternalistic, also not actually reflective of what's the civil rights movement. Of actual principles. And yeah. principles <laughs> and so forth. And the response was like, how do, you know, essentially the response of you're an anti-Semite, you're all this, you know, essentially just try to shut down the argument. And I sort of said, okay, fine. And one of the reasons I've gone independent and do independent journalism, people know where to find me for that, is that, okay, well, I have to actually talk about these issues. One issue mm -hmm. is that at the same time this is occurring and people are kind of like surprised that any there's 10 black voters might not turn out or they're dismissing it or they were saying a lot of really offensive stuff about well any muslims who stay home well trump's gonna do almost like trauma like being relishing in what trump a second trump term might do to any muslim or palestinian american or anyone who would not show up for Biden. Well, you're going to deserve what Trump's going to do to you, which is a horrible thing to state. And I said, well, mm -hmm. this is not constructive. This is not helpful. And again, if you were to pay attention to these people, if you were to go to these Black barbershops, talk to these young Black men who, for them, their lives haven't materially improved since the Trump era to through the Biden era. And I know we've talked about the economy improving, but it hasn't for some of these folks. But a lot of these people do see it as if, despite the rhetoric of, that Democrats will make about what they will do for Black voters and Black Americans and how we stand for them, they it they will make it clear to the extent the ends they will go to for if it's Israel, if it's Ukraine, and it is not being. I've seen it dismissed of like, oh, well, it's obviously more complicated than that. They should understand that. And this is, and make these, but it's like, okay, well, you need to sort of try to explain that, try to empathize why these folks, with why these folks feel this way. But I wasn't, you weren't getting that. It was just sort of like to even think that they sh should be frustrated and not get that Trump is the existential threat. They, they don't have the right to feel frustrated. Yeah. 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 And, and, and some of it, I mean, there is, I mean, to be fair of people who are 
frustrated with the frustration. A lot of it is the case that when people go and do these interviews and there's a, actually the New York Times has actually done some really good work lately on talking to dissatisfied black voters. So I have to give them some kudos in that regard. But uh, like part, I mean, some of the issue that people have with the Democratic Party is a challenge of misinformation. Like they actually don't know that various things that they would like were blocked by the Republicans and, or in the case, well, <laughs> or in the case of the child tax credit blocked by Joe Manchin <laughs> and uh, Kirsten Cinema. So like some of the things that people, that you see people in these, these interviews are, are expressing frustration at Democrats. They're not the fault of Democrats, but it is the fault of Democrats for not having told them. Oh yeah. Obviously. Happen. And Donald Trump is scum. And the Republican Party is a sort of, obviously, its base is very different, but Republican voters certainly held Republicans responsible for failing to repeal the Affordable Care Act. But one thing that was very clear that Trump did, I mean, he laid into McCain, John McCain, who had cast that vote. Like, it was clear, it was clear that he had, he had said that he has betrayed Republicans, he's betrayed America, he's betrayed the cause. And Biden has always tiptoed around cinema and mansion. It was always the, the fear that they would switch parties, would lose control, we couldn't get judges. And a lot of those arguments could be legitimate. But at the same time, I think when you go in hat in hand to Black voters, and they're like, well, what happened to our voting rights? Because during this, these past four years, this is what what Republican run states have been doing of trying to, to suppress our vote. What have you done about it? It's like, oh, I couldn't do anything while having control because cinema and yeah. mansion. And, but he does, but then, but like, here's this cool bipartisan infrastructure deal I did with them, or here's, I, I will never say a bad word about them. And that can be a sort of mixed message. I understand why he had to sort of play it that way, but it, can really have that sense of Democrats are in a weird situation where some tremendously awful stuff has happened to key to marginalized groups. So these anti-trans bills, these anti-gay bills, these voter suppression bills, obviously the horrible abortion bans that were passed on Biden's watch. Now we know that it's not as simple as it's but at the same time, it is as simple as on his watch, even though it's about- It did work. happen. It's, it, yeah. it, it, it happened. And, um, you know, to run on the kind of, it seems sometimes Democrats are still trying to run on the more defensive sense of this is what Republicans are going to do if you don't elect me, but I'm going to hold the breach. Because that had been the abortion argument for years, right? And But now that it happens, it has to be like, how are you demonstrably going to stop them from doing what they've already done? Just a slightly different argument. And I think that can be very tough. And I think in a way, Democrats can struggle with that, the struggle with like going sort of the bare knuckles brawl with Republicans on this and sort of attacking mm -hmm. them. I think, again, it was something I'd seen a former colleague had written that had been about there was a young woman in Florida who is trans and had 
just I voted for for Biden in 2020 and like my I've lost freedoms in the past four years and it was more of just a primal scream she wasn't necessarily she was not going wasn't necessarily saying that she wasn't going to vote for Biden or was it's more of just like I I did what I was kind of in a way supposed to do and now it's still like what can what can happen and it was again the response of you dumb idiot like obviously you don't understand how politics work or that Biden has no control over that what do you what's wrong with you why are you whining about it and it's just like mm-hmm. that's just a really to me grotesque way of looking at this situation especially whenever I see the idea that these people in these Republican-run states who are living in tyranny should just pack up and move to a Democratic-run state that's incredibly yeah. more expensive. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's not the option. So how you're going to get them a job? Go? You're going to get them a house? You're going to get them a <laughs> professional network? That you're going to do all that for 20 million people? All right, I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, and it's 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 an issue, and so and. And some of these things Biden can't say, but if if Democrats had more media and if there was an actual liberal media, they could say these things and deliver that message to people that maybe that Biden can't say just out of real politique. Um, but yeah, they, but they don't. And like the right has invested now billions of dollars in right wing media. And now we're at this point where. You know, especially if, uh, they're targeting um, they're targeting uh, on YouTube. I and mean, YouTube has just become a right wing cesspool from a political standpoint, and it's largely because the left hasn't even tried to do anything significant. And like, and they're and now they're pushing out, especially it, doing a big push in the realm of trying trying to target. So, like Matt Gates, for instance, said recently that for every Karen that we alienate. As Republicans, there's going to be a Julio and a and a Jamal who are going to sign up for us, <laughs> and you know, that's that's bravado and it's ridiculous. But they actually are going for this, like oh, they yeah. actually are doing it. And mm-hmm. you see, like there's been this pro- proliferation of, of right wing figures that are black, that they're black men that they're really pushing out there and spending shitloads of money getting in them in the faces of every black man that they can, you know, and it's, and it's it gotta be having some effect. Otherwise I don't think they'd keep doing it. Yeah. Oh, well, totally Matthew. And I, I mean, Matt was more correct in that argument than I think Chuck Schumer was in 2016 when he was kind of dismissing concerns about erosion of support for Democrats and amongst working class white voters, he was kind of for ev- he. I think he literally said, "For every voter like that that we lose, we're going to pick up two more suburban soccer moms," which didn't happen, obviously. No, you, you know, <laughs> but it also was sort of well, what is that strategy? Because your your strategy to become Rockefeller Republicans and yet still hold on to for working working class black voters and working class Hispanic voters, like that seems yeah. Like, that like how is that going, how is that going to work for you? And but with with Trump, like MAGA specifically, so the MAGA movement just very young, far younger than um, uh, the Democratic Party. Think of the Democratic Party is very sort of respect of your elders, respect of the leadership, wait your turn type. At it, the MAGA is very sort of. You know, and people call it a cult, but it's also sort of 
will devour anyone who either steps out of line or is not producing, right? Like if you've, you lost this election, we're going to get rid of you. You failed to deliver for us. We're going to, it can be ruthless that way, but it's also a sort of toxic masculinity. So I think when people talk about dismissing what Gates had said there about like getting Julio Ojomal, um, and I, I made fun of him about this as well, but I said, well, he is recognizing that he's being very open about us, that, that it's a home, it's a homophobic, transphobic, misogynistic, toxic male movement above all. That's the theme. That seems to be, the, if you look, if you listen, if you spend like, and God love you if you do this, but if you spent a week in right-wing media of different, any four, that's the theme more than anything, more than like, is there stuff about black people suck or that's, that's openly sort of racially charged or is it specifically homotoxic masculinity, homophobia, transphobia, misogyny as the, the in sort of the defining the unifying message, the yeah. unifying message. And then that's going to grab those folks because then it's sort of, especially with the classism, because then it's just sort of, I remember, again, sort of that Ivy League tower liberalism, the idea of like, oh, well, obviously Black people get that when, say, someone on Fox or a Republican goes on Fox and talks about violent crime and talks about thugs, he's just saying the N-word. And it was just sort of, well, no, that's literally not the N-word because I just said thug and I'm not saying the N-word. But also you're presuming that Black people specifically in, in cities aren't concerned about violent crime and don't themselves talk about the thug that broke into my car or my house or whatever, or mm -hmm. that, that red. So presuming often that this is the stuff that is everyone knows is overtly racist. We'll have the same response. Yeah. And well, it's not like the sort of the coded language and that sort of, and so the idea that Julio Jamal aren't potential gets for MAGA is to me very dangerous because that to me reflects a lack of awareness of what the of what the sort of as you said unifying message of the MAGA movement like a lot of like like Trump running against Haley I mean his the Nimrata stuff for instance is sort of racist and he's talked about going back where he came from so like that but Overall, it's very misogynistic. It's male dominance. It's that type of, that's how he goes after people. In fact, in 2016, I would say people presume that he, they acted as if his whole campaign was one of drooling racism. And certainly that was there, but one would also argue it was essentially toxic masculinity, which is very appealing and dangerous and is a link to most fascist movements. I mean, that is just sort of its mm -hmm. unifying principle. Yeah, and it's and it's also useful for them with younger with younger men as well because as religiosity has declined and as fundamentalism has declined, you know, you're not a young black man is not going to be interested in. Well, we have to save America for Jesus because he'll be just as likely to say, "Fuck that! I don't believe in Jesus. It's all imaginary." So that has no purchase for him. But if you tell him black women are uppity and they're getting out of control and they need to know their place, some some guys are going to want to hear that because they mm -hmm. think that already. And then this is an entree for them. 
for the right wing with them. And but I, and I think you also see that with some of the outreach that Trump did with basically selling presidential pardons before he left office. He made it a point to go out and find people specifically who were involved in the hip hop world and try to get them pardons. And then it, it paid a dividend even with uh, with Snoop Dogg recently, who just came out and said that he's got no problem with Trump and likely, of course, related to the fact that Trump pardoned his first record, record executive friend from back, back in the day with Death Row Records. Like that's so like there is they're doing something with this and to just write it off. It's it's very it is very dangerous, as you said, I think. Yeah. And there is. If you're a black person in the world and saw these voters, there is a f- sort of a condescending racism that comes from the white left that is sort of very similar, if not arguably worse in certain ways than what comes from the right. Everyone presumes that the right, they're all clan members coming after you and so forth. And I think what happens is for a lot of people of a certain income level or a certain background for them is six of one, half of the other. So they're going to be like, well, what other, what are the other ways that Trump is going to help me? And is it, is he going to fit, get me a job, get me an economy or whatever, or he, is he going to actually even just listen to me? And I think that seems to, that seems to be important. I remember, and I had written about this, it's like Biden probably shouldn't list upon his list of achievements for the black community, what he's done for black people in the past four years to be a black Supreme Court justice and a black vice president. It sort of is, those are great things, but for, and that Jamal, it's just sort of like, what? Like, okay, I'm glad that very successful way at all <laughs> yeah. yes <laughs> especially yeah. it's like and it sucks that uh katanji brown jackson who's wonderful was nominated during this time but it's like yeah the supreme nothing about the supreme court is good and it's not like she tipped she tipped the balance or whatever when trump's gloating about supreme court picks it's sort of like because i tipped the balance of the court and here's where we are kicking butt with the courts but here it's just like yeah so i nominated a black lady to the Supreme Court. I kept that promise, and then that same Supreme Court. I mean, she didn't vote for it, obviously, but it's o- that overturned uh, went on to mm-hmm. overturn Ro- Roe v. Wade. Is not it, it, it winds up being that form of, I would say, shallow identity politics, right? Because again, Jamal, mm-hmm. Julio, they don't care. Like they don't care that certain high status pe- people who wouldn't live in their neighborhoods anyway, right? even if they are yeah. the same race or and that's sort of, and I think Republicans have been leveraging on that sense of the going after the elitists and that sort of thing in a way, because it's kind of like, yeah, why do you, this person doesn't even live in your neighborhood, won't stop in your neighborhood. And he's saying that like, look, I've here's how I gave this person who was already well off a raise is not going mm-hmm. to hit, doesn't hit in the same way because they can't then translate it to a different specific way their lives have been improved. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. And well, I guess the 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 elephant in the room on this discussion though is Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think at this point people seem to have realized that yeah, people don't really like her. Um, <laughs> and and that's true across races and geographies and whatever you want to say. I mean, it was I, I, I would know. I would interject I say I, I think <laughs> I, I I do think black voters think highly of her 
I don't that sometimes does not always show up in the approval polls. I think I I think it's usually like Nikki Haley likes to try to fearmonger about a president Kamala. And I think when you do it that way in a way that can really get sort of black voters more defensive of supportive of Harris in a sense of like, okay, well, don't, yeah. don't trash well, her. Cause she's using, yeah. Cause I mean, that actually is a racist attack basically. Yeah. She's using anti-blackness as a way of propping herself up as a non-white person. Yeah. Um, but I think I would agree with you. Otherwise he's not sort of, and I've again, gotten into lots of trouble for this as well, but I was like, yeah, I mean, I, it was a sort of, I was writing about this in 2020, which was that, okay, well, Biden's going to be, Biden's mortal. Here's what eight years is going to look like. And that's the commitment you're making to eight years. Yet there was all these people talking about, oh, well, Biden will retire, not run for again. Or they was like, well, none of that will happen. That does not happen. That will never happen. Are we going to commit to Biden for eight years? And then people made that choice. Like, okay, we're committing to him for eight years. And then four years later, people were saying, so do you think he's not going to run again? Do you think you're going to? No, that's not the, That's not going to happen. And, um, you know, I think there is some concern. We don't know to the extent that in case swing states, and I think that's what Haley would want it to be, that it winds up being this proxy fight between VP Everyone's like, Trump's either going to go to jail or die, or <laughs> Biden's going to die. And so it's really about Harris versus. But I think to the extent that a lot of Indy who might not like Harris or might be skittish about her in, say, Wisconsin, Michigan, the benefit of the Dobbs decision is that they will vote for the policy, the people who are going to come out and grasp them. It's like, okay, well, I want to make sure that there's no national abortion ban. I want to protect these things. I want to protect, this is a, a, a Republican party that can't govern. God forbid they get the White House. This is what I'm going to vote for. And so that I think helps us with moderates and independents in those areas. I mean, I think there are, I think the drawback, the risk would be in those states, if there are right-leaning voters who say had voted for Romney, gave Trump a chance in 2016, just couldn't bear it in 2020 because they thought he was so terrible, but would gladly come back and vote for a Republican and support Republican policies if they kind of thought, okay, well, maybe he'll then go to jail or die and then Nikki Haley will be president. What's good though, is that Nikki Haley's continued presence in the primary and infuriating Trump guarantees that won't happen. He will in no circumstance, in no circumstance, will he choose her. And I do think he's not going to choose any Republican who would present as materially less MAGA to voters. We've seen how his own MAGA surrogates have crashed and burned in, in, 2020, in 2022 in key states from Kerry Lake. Yeah. yeah. And I think that if you were to pick, say, obviously not even Carrie Lake, but I think Christy Nome would not be a candidate who would do well as a VP for those already kind of done with MAGA center-right voters. So I do think that for good or for ill, it's Trump-Biden and only Trump-Biden. There's no proxy there. Trump-Biden and 
I hate to say thank thanks for Dobbs, but in a way, Dobbs that ruling did, I think, without that ruling, do Democrats carry this hold the Senate? Do they in 2022? Mm-hmm. I'm not I, I actually am not sure. So I do think that that yeah. has motivated voters and given a singular purpose specifically to independent voters that can benefit us. And then in 2028, I think I, I find it highly unlikely that Harris would win a actual contested primary. But what's your thought there? Yeah, it doesn't seem likely to me. I mean, she I mean, she dropped out in 2020 before even a single vote had been cast because she knew she was going to lose California, mm-hmm. uh, her, her own home state. And I, I think she is actually a really great example of kind of this of this this uh, Acela mentality and, and demographic problem that the Democratic Party has. Whereas if you were to compare her to, let's say, Raphael Warnock or. Val Demings or like there, there, there are, are plenty of black politicians who are much better connected to regular Americans and of any race. And and, and certainly in regards to the black, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like she just, she was always just doing her own. And, and it's not, it's not something wrong with her. I'm not saying that as a criticism because she is who she is, but the reality is, that people they they want somebody who is appealing and and who they trust, as you said, and and somebody who can explain themselves in an, in a way that is meaningful. And yeah, and, and she doesn't have that. And, and I don't well, yeah, ja- Jasmine Crockett sounds like someone who's taught. Like I I have no reason to believe, and I'm sure you're the same way that there was a staff that got together and said wrote her remarks. Like, oh yeah, and this line's gonna kill, and we focus focus yeah. tested. No, this she just go out. from the heart, yeah. And whereas most people, that's how they view that Harris is just from lines and so forth, and not particularly being authentic. And I know that it's supposed to be sexist to say that a candidate should be authentic, but I don't know. These are still popularity contests. Uh, and there's plenty of women who are. You know, yeah, it's, and, exactly. Interesting, Matthew, because the writer in me, again, who does plays and so forth, I do think this with Nikki Haley's attacks against Harris, I find fascinating because to me, it's like they are very similar in the sense of I felt that there was no, they didn't themselves have a rationale for their campaign. I mean, other than wanting to win, which is what people want to win, but you need more than that because then when, whenever she, Whenever Haley opens her mouth, sometimes I kind of like, well, what is it? Who is this for? Who are you trying to appeal to? What is your strategy? Mm-hmm. What is your plan? And it was often some concerns, the same concerns I had with Harris. And I think Haley is still there because there's obviously then there are donors and people who are desperate for Trump to not be the nominee in a way that wasn't there. So the money quickly dried up for Harris. So I, but Without that dynamic, I do think Haley, I mean, Haley wasn't necessarily polling any better than Harris was, and certainly was, is on track to lose her home state. And it, it's a, it'll be a shocking state of affairs that Trump will get nominated again. It's, uh, it says a lot about the party that no one will say, right? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And I guess maybe let's wrap with a, I want to talk about that. So there is there there is some dialogue about kind of this interplay that we've been talking about this whole conversation here on the left, but there's this idea. I 
and this is especially true more with white leftist socialist types, but not only them, like this idea that you can just completely throw away all matters of of race or of of sexism or various identities that people can have of religion, whatever, like you can just toss those away. And what you need to have is only focus on the economic message and the, and the class warfare idea. And if you just did that, it would work. And I'm, it's, it didn't work. It never worked for Bernie Sanders. So like, mm-hmm. but people are still saying this and it's, it's, it's like, you have to say, you have to have more than one message. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. This is a big country. <laughs> and I apologize. And these issues. Oh, sorry. No, and, and the issues that they're linked as well. Like the people who want to oppress transgender people are also the ones who want to take away the civil rights of black people, who are also wanting to take away the civil rights of non Christians. Like it's the same people who are doing mm-hmm. all this stuff. And if you can't understand these things are all linked together, then, you know, you're not going to, you can't build anything. If you yeah. Can. Yeah. I, I apologize. It's probably too complicated answer to get into. I'll just say quickly. I think that one of the issues is that sometimes in politics, personal is so mixed up with message. So there's issues of like, here are campaign problems that Sanders had. That I believed, does that dispute what his kind of larger campaign purpose might have been who knows but as you say it didn't work twice right but it also at the same time you're like oh right you why did you do this why did you take this strategy in kind of committing to that message i do think that that yeah you're right like the argument is like and democrats have a problem with this as well of fairness so pushing fairness so the idea of like um the problem with a lot of these anti-trans laws, it's not some sort of Ivy Tyra thing. It's like you are pushing trans people out of the public sphere. They can't work, they can't live. And that is an economic issue. Like most of these issues are, there are ways to make it sort of, here's the, the key, because ultimately discriminate, I mean, that's where King was going before he died, was the idea of that things of like, I think he has even quoted as saying, what good is it to be able to enter the restaurant, to be able to ride wherever you want on the bus, if you can't afford the bus fare, if you can't get into the, re- if you can't eat at the restaurant, right? So like there's, yeah. you want to get the, you want to get the rights, but you don't want to create it to a system of where the system is still a sort of, um, a, 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 a one where it's all about wealth. So it's like, oh, we fixed it. So that me, I, myself as a as a well off black person, I can live comfortably, and thanks for helping me, poor black person. But actually, now your your life is not. I'm going to stay in the talented tenth, and you can stay down there. In the yeah, <laughs> and, and so I do. I do think that becomes that is a Chetro challenge. But I think threading that needle has been very difficult for for Democrats, and so and actually connect like what is what does racism mean. So I think that's been a problem. The idea of like, okay, well, don't vote for Trump, working class black person. Trump's a racist. Well, what does that mean? And I think also for the Acela Corridor person, it's like, yeah, if you're a white person, it's like to you, it's like you probably don't you've worked for your you've probably worked for your fair share of jerks, right? But not many of them are overtly racist to you as a 
white male, right? But like the idea that, okay, well, I've had, if you're a working class black person, it's like, I've worked with tons. I've had tons of bosses who I thought were racist, but some were better at making sure I got a paycheck every week than some of the others. And so it's, again, it comes to six of one half and does the other thing. You need to sort of translate what Trump is doing in ways that are going to create to that, like making it about, oh my God, he got rid of DEI. <laughs> he got rid of these CRT in ways. I mean, I do think Jamal is like, okay, what? Like, oh wait, like I don't necessarily know what those things are. And if I did, I don't study them in college and I just, mm -hmm. this is, you're, you're not connecting to me on a way that motivates me to support, especially it's a really, lot of the democracy yeah. is at, in the risk type thing. Yeah, no, it, that's, well, that is definitely true. The, the idea of telling people democracy is at risk. Like what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> if you're a person making minimum wage and you were working three jobs, what the who cares <laughs> well i just it was such a yeah. it was such a theme of people being like well if he follows robert Mueller, we're gonna take to the streets it's like why do you think anyone would like how does that translate to but yeah so sort of the idea of our systems and our institutions and that's what democracy is as opposed to oh here's what the damage trump has done to our institutions and we won't have a democracy in these years when do you, the problem is it's like well do you think there was a, and, and I think a lot of white liberals have to answer that question. Do you think America was a functioning democracy in the fifties? Like most of the time you yeah. just think it's like the movie Greece. You don't, you think it was fine. In fact, when you want to sort of project the idea of a horrible dystopian society, you use fiction like the Handmaid's Tale as opposed to yeah. a reality we've already had. And so you need to sort of thread the needle of like, here's how Trump's going to make it like 1955 for black people. I think that draws people out, but I think the idea that like, no, he's just going to fill the white house with cronies and yeah. only have acting attorney generals. I think that just, <laughs> that just, that scares the, the morning Joe crowd, certainly. And me, but I'm not, those voters are trying to win over. Yeah. If you like, yeah. If, if you feel like in your own life that institutions have not helped you and they have failed you, and you just assume based on your experience that racism is baked into the cake no matter what, then these these messages mean nothing to you. So, but at the same time, you have to figure out a way to get people to understand like this, these things are real. I, like, I, I think, you know, the, the, to go back to the Dobbs case that I think a lot of women were willing to vote for Republicans because they really didn't think the mm -hmm. Roe versus Wade was at risk for them. And and of course, Republicans were lying and telling them they weren't going to do it. But now that it's actually happening, and a lot of a lot of people are, are saying they actually are trying to take away my rights, and they are, and they're putting all these restrictions on me. And and they all these ballot initiatives they pass because a significant percentage of Republicans vote for them to protect <laughs> abortion rights. And it's it's I mean, it is tricky. It's there's it's there's no one one answer no one size fits all but you got you can't you can't put people into one box and tell them only one thing i think that's the overall takeaway if i may say one yeah i agree yeah. all right
Well, I think that should do it for us here today. I appreciate you joining the program here. So you are on various social media places at uh, SER1897. What is that signifying? <laughs> 1897 was a storyline on the old Dark Shadows TV show. I am a fan of that TV show. And one of my upcoming podcasts, I'll have a guest who will speak about that show as well. So thank you for bringing it up. It allowed me to make that <laughs> very subtle p plug. Okay, awesome. And then, of course, people can also get you at playtyperguy.com as well. Thank you. All right. So that is the program for today. I appreciate everybody for joining us for the discussion. And of course, you can always get more episodes. If you go to theoryofchange.show, you can get the video, audio, and transcript of all the episodes. I appreciate everybody for subscribing. Make sure to do that on whatever platform you're watching, whether a podcast or YouTube, etc. And if you want to get the show over on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash discoverflux. If you're a paid subscriber on Patreon or Substack, you are will get full access to all the episodes, and you'll also get access to the other two podcasts that I'm hosting right now, Doom Scroll, and So This Just Happened. So please do check those out and visit us over at flux.community as well. So that's it for this one. I will see you next time.